to the podcast where together, every Monday, we explore hospitality in its very broader sense, from culture and cooking, cocktails and coffee, nutrition and farming, politics and animal welfare, organic and sustainability, family and business, entrepreneurship, and much, much more. Come and learn with me, Mark Cribb, about where our food and our drink comes from and the businesses and more importantly the human beings that thrive on where we decide to spend our time and our money. Sign up to our weekly newsletter at humansofhospitality.co.uk and hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice. Many of you will know today's guest, Nathan Outlaw, from his various TV appearances, Michelin stars, all-round love of hospitality, and the author of five well-regarded books. Chatting to Nathan, you can see why he's such a popular hospitality human. Relaxed, positive, knowledgeable, with no pretentiousness, and happy to chat about the challenges, lows, and highs of his hospitality adventure. Nathan was generous with his time in this conversation, where we touch on just how tough an impact the pandemic had, with Nathan having to close his restaurants in London, but how it created a positive opportunity for him to re-evaluate his business and his lifestyle. Nathan is now super excited to be 100% focused on his two restaurants in Port Isaac in Cornwall. And as you'll hear during this chat, he's really worked hard to simplify the business and re-evaluate the importance of looking after the customer and keeping his chefs creative with sustainability high on the agenda rather than just chasing Michelin stars. And with decades of experience behind him now and a far greater understanding of the business element of restaurants compared to his early years, Nathan now gets to create a set menu at a set price for a set number of covers booked out 90 days in advance. It's an utterly genius model that really gives him and his team the freedom to enjoy simply creating incredible seasonal dishes that vary depending on what has been caught or farmed locally. A real tale of learning, closing restaurants, opening restaurants, and all the time loving the produce and the team around him. I really, really hope you enjoy this week's conversation. And as always, if you do, please subscribe, rate and review the podcast on your player of choice. And to keep up with my now slightly less regular episode releases, sign up to the newsletter at humansofhospitality.co.uk. And I'll send you a very brief email on the release of every new episode with any useful links that are discussed in the show. Cheers. Nathan Outlaw, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hugely appreciated. Can I just ask, where in the world are you, Nathan? Are you at a restaurant? Are you at home? I'm at home in Cornwall at the moment. Just, uh, just yeah, just getting ready for everything to go mad. Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be. I think most of Britain's coming to see you this year. I think, isn't it? They can't, they can't go abroad. So Cornwall's going to be the hot destination. I'm told. Yeah, well, according to all the papers and all the media, it seems like we're going to get hammered with uh, lots and lots of people. But you know, to be honest with you, that's it happens most years. So yeah, you know, we I think we're we're pretty well versed at it. And there's only there's only a couple, so so many people that can actually fit into Cornwall. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I reckon they're gonna they'll try and squeeze a few more in this year. So do you live in Port Isaac? I know the restaurants are in Port Isaac. Is that where you live as well? Or? I live about 15 miles inland from Port Isaac. I think it'll be a bit full-on to actually live in, in Port Isaac as well as having both the restaurants so it's quite it's quite nice to just just get away but I've lived in Cornwall for um over 20 years now my wife's like pesto born and bred so yeah I've sort of uh yeah we've we, we've got a lot of friends and family around as well which is good amazing I didn't know anyone lived inland I thought everybody hugged the coast but you, you can't there is an inland to Cornwall is there is that is that just to avoid the crowds or yeah, you, know, you, you get more for your money as well yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty expensive living by the actual sea as you can probably that's, imagine so that, it's, quite, it's quite nice I mean we're not far from the from the moors from Bobbin Moors and it's sort of like it's a bit bit, bit wilder and sometimes but it's, it's a lovely little place to yeah. be just 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 close enough but not too close amazing that is it's a beautiful part of the world i do love it down there i'm not too far away down the coast but uh, yeah it's a it's a good spot so um look i'm really excited to chat today you've been on quite a, a lockdown journey you've closed some restaurants you've changed some concepts uh, I, I imagine a bit of a lifestyle change as well because i know you were working quite regularly in dubai and up in london before and, and presumably you're now back to sort of Cornwall permanently so can we start there please what what restaurants did you have up and running pre-covid and what are you going to have coming out the other side and as your day-to-day sort of life changed off the back of that are you are you basically in Port Isaac for the summer 
Yeah, I mean, I've, I'm sort of here now. I mean, ever since the lockdown, the first lockdown happened, um, you yeah, know, the first thing that happened to us, yeah, we had to um, close the restaurant that we only opened for about seven or eight months in, in London, which is at the Siren at the Gorian, which is a real shame because we had a lot of the guys that were working with us there had come from when I had a restaurant at the Capital Hotel in Knightsbridge as well. So that was that was very, very tough. Probably one of the toughest things I've ever done to actually get a room full of people and tell them, unfortunately, there's no restaurant anymore and then I had to come back um like it, most people you know I'd, I'd come back down to Cornwall and I just thought I had to do the same thing so that was yeah it was a pretty stressful time um in all um until the furlough was released and then we could all I think everyone breathed a little bit better after that um but you know now I, as I sit here I mean I've got there's no Dubai there's no London there's no nothing else n- no associations with anybody else just just me my wife and my team um, with the two little restaurants in in Port Isaac um and to be honest with you uh, it sounds I don't like saying I'm, I feel good but I do feel good about it because it's quite it's quite nice after running around like a nutter for probably the last 10 years um, thinking I'm doing what I wanted to be doing, but realizing the lockdowns made me realize it isn't what I wanted to do. You know, what I what I really love is just uh, keeping life a bit more simple and then cooking cooking good good food with my friends and family around me. Really amazing. It's it's fascinating. I think and how many people have been on that journey and just gone. You know what? I'm just going to go for something simple. And I, I it'd be it'd be interesting to see how it lasts. So it must have been a real emotional roller coaster presumably some real highs and lows but fundamentally you know do you feel exhausted now or actually you just really excited and, and, and buzzing to get back open i'm really i'm i'm sort of right really excited about actually getting back to it because i've i've really missed being in the kitchen and really missed um working with the team and you know because i'm very lucky the guys that have been with me some of them when we what pete my head chef's been with me for 20 years we've been working together so you know it, it, we are like family and it, it's nice as well that when we changed the restaurant after the first lockdown so we for people that don't know listening that we closed the we closed our fine dining restaurant um which is a two michelin star restaurant everyone thought i was mental but but i knew it wasn't right and i knew that there wasn't wasn't longevity in it and the actual um lockdown gave me a bit of time to think and made me realize that actually what i wanted was just you know i still want a nice restaurant and i still we're still it's still never going to be cheap because we're dealing with the best ingredients but what i didn't want to be doing is putting myself into a sort of a corner where we were doing this one type of paint by number safe seafood cookery that delivered for everybody who came in and paid the big money and it just didn't there was no there's not longevity in that i mean it, it might sound mad and people i think well you, you were getting 140 odd quid for your menu and you were doing you know you didn't have to do as many people to make the restaurant work because of that and the point is is just it was the expectation was so so high and I didn't realise it, but there was a lot of pressure on me to actually. Obviously, you you got to perform and you got to you got to meet those expectations. And in in doing that, they actually put put a lot of pressure on on everybody, you know. So I've just thought enough of this. It's not worth it. it it's really isn't. We've achieved everything we ever wanted to achieve, and we set out to achieve many years ago. Let's just enjoy ourselves now. Let's just have fun with it because. One thing I think this whole sort of lockdowns taught everybody is that you you can't count your chickens and you've got to you've, you've got to enjoy it while you can, you know. So what I don't want to be doing anymore is going into a kitchen 14, 15, 16 hours a day, um, stressing out about whether Mister and Missus Smith have got the right size piece of turbot or whatever. You know, I mean, I just want to get the best ingredients cook them in a nice way in a good environment with all the guys and and just have fun you know so that was the big change and that's why we changed restaurant nathan outlaw to outlaws new road it's the new road bit is just uh, it's, it's actually on new road in, in Port Isaac. So it's, <laughs> it wasn't like it's, this is a new road we both go on it was uh, it's a new road it was just con- very conveniently we that's really handy. On new road. <laughs> so, yeah. and and the fact that you've got a cool surname like outlaws new road just sounds sounds cool doesn't it i feel like i'm in a western movie or something my surname's crib and it would just sound a bit shit if i named my restaurant crib yeah. uh but yeah out, well, crib, you know what crib is in cornish don't you crib's like year 11s is yeah you get like yeah before, between between lunch between lunch and breakfast you have crib 
Oh, really? so there you go, I didn't yeah. know that. That's <laughs> yeah. I know, yeah, you get MTV cribs. That was always yeah, a bit cool. Yeah, yeah. And there is a there is a Cribbies or Cribs restaurant somewhere in Cornwall. Yeah. I remember. I remember getting a photo outside once. I can't remember yeah. which town it's in. So, well, some people call it in Cornwall. They get it's like their lunchbox. There's a crib. Yeah. Oh, so there's a chance then. I can, I can, I can open a crib. You have a play on words with that in Bournemouth. There you go. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Cornwall's coming to Bournemouth. So it is, it is interesting that decision to, to do that. When you say it didn't have longevity, because I suppose you know the, the, the perception from the outdoor absolutely get the pressure bit. I think it's a little bit like places that, that focus on sort of high end weddings. You just think, God, I just couldn't cope with the stress of a sort yeah. of you know a bride uh, every other day who who's you know demanding the very best day of their life. But do you think when you talk about longevity, do you, do you mean longevity for sort of you and your sanity or actually do you think the business model of being a destination to michelin starred restaurant do you think that would have would have run out as well and what do you mean by that i think both really i think what what uh running a two michelin star restaurant and a three michelin star or any high-end restaurant really to be honest with you not just because it's got michelin you've always got that pressure you put yourself in i think it naturally goes into an area where you start questioning making decisions about things you're putting on the menu or the way you're serving people purely off of the basis of of um of of, of the actual sort of expectation from the customer so it's not you're not making the right judgment so for example when i've got a, a fisherman comes to the to the back door and he's got this beautiful fish and he's only got like four of them i'll be going in the old restaurant we'll be going well we don't need it's not enough you know, but uh, just because you thought, sort of feel like you've got to have enough for everybody, right? So now with a new restaurant, there's no rules. You know, so we we've, we've basically the creativity has gone as basically the volume on the creativity is notched up to ten max now because we can just anything goes. So in the in the old restaurant, it was sort of like you've got certain dishes that people are expecting because they've seen it, maybe they've heard about it or seen it on Instagram or whatever, and and you sort of getting people coming in and almost like wanting the t-shirt, you know, which is I don't want a restaurant like that. I want a restaurant where people where it works for us as a as a restaurant and for the staff and for and for our suppliers and for our fishermen so that they can we can they can give us anything and then we the creativity comes from me and, and the chefs to 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 come up with something amazing but we don't you, if you've got them confinements of like those um well invisible rules that nobody actually knows about with michelin and things like that you've um you, you sort of uh you start worrying about things that actually are not important and actually don't produce the best food in my opinion so yeah that's you know that's that's really from that point of view um, and from a business point of view, yeah, the pressure is on now because obviously we're, we're doing, we're charging half the price per head than we were before, but we feel that now a better dining experience with us is actually only to be with us for a couple of hours, not to be with us for four hours or whatever it was. It's actually come in, have you have, 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 have a lovely lunch or a lovely dinner. If you want to stick around, come on the second sitting of each service of a lunch or dinner because you can, you know, obviously there's no limitation. But the first, if people, we get people in Cornwall, especially when they're traveling around, they just want to come in and go, you know, as well, and, but still experience what we do. So it's actually, when we, when we changed it, instantly it just felt so much better. It was yeah. like, it was almost like within the first week we were like, so usually when you make a decision, as you know, as a restaurateur as well, that you think you know, for a while you're pondering it and it might take months to sort of iron it out. This was within a week, we know, right? We knew this was right. And I was so glad because I was the one that sort of sat everybody down in in a room, all the all the chefs and yeah, my wife and everybody and said, right, we're not doing this anymore. And you should have seen their faces, obviously. Okay. Oh, yeah. what, 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 was, what was Pete's reaction when you told him? <laughs> well, Pete, Pete, Pete's on board. Pete's always been on board with whatever idea. He's someone who's sort of like, um, he's done the capital for me. He's done Dubai for me. He's done, when we were at St. Endock Hotel in Rock, he did that. You know, he's we've been together for a long time. He even worked with me at Black Pig, my first restaurant back in 2003. So wow. um, yeah. Pete, he, 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 he sort of, is we're 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 one we're t- we're basically together on any decision really yeah, yeah. got a good, good relationship but yeah the other guys were just obviously they were like but then to be honest with you within not not one person even questioned it they all got on board and 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 they were enjoying they saw they saw the benefits straight away because they were enjoying themselves and yeah. they were having more fun you know so and i think that's the thing in this industry hospitality you know we, we are 
our own worst enemy sometimes as an industry and we sort of never say no do we we always just make it happen and um, so i think if you're going to have that if we're going to continue to have that let's please everybody and make it happen let's at least make it fun <laughs> so yeah. no, it's really good it, 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 i guess basically covid provided you the the excuse and opportunity it sounded like it had been niggling away at you anyway and, yeah. and this sort of fast track the decision basically <clears throat> yeah no i've been this is something that had been in in i've been thinking about for many years not not really um yeah it was it, obviously the covid situation gave me time to think it out properly and that sort of first lockdown gave me time to really consider all the actions and the yeah the, uh, the ramifications from all the decisions and stuff financially um and i didn't have time to do that before so i was just running around like a blue ass fly really so actually now um it, uh, yeah just <clears throat> it was a good time to to do it but it was definitely something that's been in my mind for a long time so so as well as the food which i understand have you changed other things does it change the number of covers you can do and the decor and the music and the vibe in general is it, is it does it feel like a more relaxed kind of experience i suppose well we gave the place a good had a good paint job and had some new furniture so we didn't go mad um but we've um the actual way the restaurant runs now obviously we still do and we did do a choice when we first opened and then um, realized quite quickly because we've only got five tables upstairs and three tables downstairs at the moment due to the to, to social distancing so that sort of limited us and what we found with having an a la carte is that we were producing an, an uncomfortable amount of waste from my point of view and that was purely down to just what i'll accept as being fresh enough to be served the next day type thing so it was sort of not because we the menu was badly judged it was just a natural thing you've got you're so few customers because of your limitations of what you can do in the restaurant that you're actually producing a menu and you'd have in waste so i said so within probably three or four months i made a decision to go back to the set menu um, and that basically allows us to be more ethical in the way that we are with a restaurant as well so yeah obviously sustainable and ethical sort of stance is quite strong with what we're trying to do as well we don't we um, don't like waste we don't like plastic we don't like all that sort of thing so we just we basically didn't it made sense to do the set menu but the set menu evolves consistent all the time so if you you could be sitting at one table having um, some line court bass for example on the other table they're having mackerel because i've only got two bass and i've only got four or five mackerel i haven't got enough to feed everybody because we're buying from day boats right so so that's the sort of way the menu works it's not it's um yeah we've it's, it's quite exciting from our point of view in the kitchen because we just get to work with lots of different things, um, albeit we've still got that one set menu. And because of the reputation we built up over the years, we're very, very fortunate that people will come and sort of um, pass over their well-earned money um, to, for us to just cook for them. Mm, um, nice. And that's for me, that's, you know, you can put all your stars and rosettes and whatever's to the side because the biggest accolade is having customers come to the restaurant and just sort of go we'll have whatever you're cooking please chef so i, I, I love that it's just yeah it's it's just the dream scenario for both parties and i love a restaurant where you just go in and say right you know send me whatever chef says is amazing today and, and just to have that as a business model where yeah everybody everybody gets what they're given and everybody's grateful it must be brilliant is it a set price is, did i read is it 80 quid or something like that is yeah that, both, that, so both, that... for it, both restaurants around so the, the other thing that i was a bit uncomfortable with so we had the restaurant nathan outlaw which was two stars and we had the fish kitchen was a one star and everyone sort of looked not looked down but it never got any notice the fish kitchen even though it's an amazing restaurant in its own right so i brought them back up together so they both got the same price so there's no difference so i'm trying to for, and then from my point of view that works for the staff as well so everyone feels that they're just everyone's on the same level we're not no one's better than another you're not working at the the, the lesser restaurant because you're working at yeah. the fish you know that sort of thing you'd, so you'd want to work at a shoddy one star yeah i mean we didn't we didn't know what was going to happen with all that sort of um all the because obviously changing it that was that we wouldn't even consider accolades and things like that we're just doing it for the for the reasons that I just pointed out just because we wanted to enjoy what we're doing and change the sort of path that we're going on. And so it was quite nice when the, the new road got, got one star because it meant they're both the same. Like, so that is, it, yeah. it worked well, but it wasn't really, it wasn't intentional. I wasn't, to be honest with you, we were, I wasn't expecting anything because we just, you know, I didn't even inform Michelin or anyone that I was changing the restaurant. I just did it. I did, I, it for me, it didn't seem important to do that. It was more important that we just did it for it and made sure that 
everyone in the staff were knew what was going on and our good our loyal customers knew what was going on really yeah amazing am i right in saying that fish kitchen's only three tables is that right or? well yeah it, well depends how the configurations are yeah but it's three or four depending on if it's twos or threes or fours or whatever yeah so it's only that used to have six it used to have seven tables before lockdown and now it can only have three tables because of the social distancing it's so small so that yeah yeah it works because this because there's the actual staff ratio is so small so you've got two chefs and one front of house running the service so it's always been like that and that's that and it works like a well-oiled machine it's oh, really good it. yeah. yeah so and i i mean i it's a very unique you know very unique restaurant fish kitchen because it's sort of in a in an old fisherman's um house basically right on the front uh, down in port isaac and it's the main it's right next to the r and lie um sort of place there and it's it's just bang on the front there so it's it's a great location but it's the smallest i don't think that i think it must be the small one of the smallest restaurants going it's so small wow i can't stand up straight in there i'm too tall it's uh, literally it's I just, I'm, I'm envious of the simplicity of the model. Like you say, you've earned it and you've got, you know, because of the, the stars you've had and the reputation you've got in the food you do. But I, I said before we started this, now I've just come from my restaurant, which is sort of opposite end of the spectrum. It's, it's, it's nice food. It's certainly not, not Michelin, but it's, uh, you know, it's right on the beach and it's got, it's got like a hundred seat terrace on the, on the beach. And then it's got a takeaway next door where we do these sort of wood fired pizzas. It's got a container bar on the beach out the front on the deck. And then it's got a, a balcony, a mezzanine level, and it's just carnage. It's absolute chaos of <laughs> the thought, the thought of like, yeah, Oh, it just sounds amazing. Cut the floors. People get what they're given, <laughs> and it's making good ahead. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm envious, Nathan, of the carnage that I'm about to go into. I might come for a job. Yeah. So that, that that figure of eighty quid. Did you did you get the calculator out and go, okay, you know, uh, GP staff percentage. You know, what do I want to spend on food? You know, what's the magic number? Or did you go eighty quid's in a, me- a reasonable amount to spend, and, and let's hope it works out? How much? Well, how much formula was in there? We sort of come from two areas. I mean, from Fish Kitchen, it sort of built up over the years. When Fish Kitchen first started eight years ago, it was um, one simple menu of dishes individually priced, a bit like a um, small plates, tapas style type type uh, restaurant. But over time, it grew over the, like over the say over the eight years to a point where people were just saying, well, they're literally coming in and saying, can we just have what you give us? So we got got to a point where it's sort of seventy, so seventy five, seventy eight percent people were just going, "Can we have whatever the set menu?" So we just weren't selling like the the, the plates. So when when we decided to open up, we we had to work out whether free tables going to work for a start. So when we opened up, we thought the only way we're going to make free work free tables work is if we give a set menu. We don't give any other option because otherwise we can't. It just doesn't work. So. Um, we, so that's when we came up with we're looking at the average spend for over the last three or four years and we thought you know that's that's a good price and that's what people are usually sending so that's it was very that simple really that's what we did and then from in, in regards to outlaws new road and coming up with the same sort of price same price it was just sort of thinking to myself well we used to charge 140 pound for the same quantity of food right the quality is not different. The quality is still the same. We're still buying from the same fishermen. We're still buying from the same growers. Um, and we just thought, well, the only difference being that we can see is that before you had the table for the whole lunchtime or the whole dinner time. Mm. Now we're asking you to stick around for a couple of hours and then we need the table back because that's how it's going to work for our business model because of the social distancing and we ain't got as many tables so we got to do something we got to do that and we thought well is it fair that we can't i don't want to charge 140 pounds because a we're not we're not pretending to be a two michelin star restaurant anymore like where we are now we're a different restaurant and we're relaunching so it sort of thought well let's do the same as the other restaurant and be fair yeah so if you want to eat with us in either of the restaurants that everything's at the same standard same smiles are on the faces of all the staff same quality of ingredients it's it's the same price that's it 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 took about that that bit of explaining then that's that's how long it took to take to make the decision as well yeah (laughs) amazing yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, well just like you say gets get get simpler and simpler doesn't it yeah i mean just yeah it's just it's one of the things is take away as much i mean i've been doing it for so long now 20 odd years or whatever just taking taking things that don't need to be there away just makes life so much easier for everybody and the customer 
and that's that's really what we concentrate on really yeah well i think a lot of people are doing the same we used to you know have this obsession to you know get get as close to everything as we could we had our own bit of land out in the forest where we grew our own produce you know we, we looked up open our own microbrewery roast on our own coffee had our own in-house bakers and then over the years and particularly this year we've gone what are we doing? You know, let's just strip it all out. You know, somebody who wakes up every morning and I've learned that doing this podcast, you know, I speak to these crazy obsessives who just, you know, are just focused on their niche, whatever their niche might be, whether it be olive oil or chocolate or, or, you know, some distilled product they do, but they wake up in the morning and they just obsess about that one thing. And you think, well, I can never compete with that. I can never compete with that as a restaurateur. You know, we should just collaborate with all these amazing people yeah. and, uh, and, and yeah, do, do, do the end of the circle, I suppose. Is it, um, is it mainly um, tourists that use you or have you got, a good local following as well no i mean i think because we've been around for so long we, i mean the local side of it is really strong and we're really lucky you know cornwall is one of those sort of places where um you know especially where we are north coast it's, it's sort of it's very lucky that it's an area that gets is busy all year round um even though you know parts of cornwall say west and east cornwall they struggle a little bit out of season because it's a little bit more remote but where north cornwall is especially with the sort of um the overflow from say newquay and padstone places like that you sort of it continues to be quite busy we're on sort of, we're sort of like on the edge of it but port isaac's just sort of like on the edge of that bubble of um where it seems to remain busy but i mean tour is i would say it's I mean, 50, it's 50-50 split, really. I mean, in terms of well, last year, it was all British people, obviously, because there was no international people coming in because of the COVID. So it was, um, it was we had a slightly different market last year, but that that was fine because we changed the restaurant. So I think we would have maybe struggled a little bit with the prices that we were charging before last year because we, before, you know, we used to get a lot of international travellers as well coming to, to Restaurant Nathan Outlaw because of the reputation it had. But, um, you know, it's... Um, it's we, we I would say that out of season we get a lot more locals because obviously they they sort of they're busy when 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 the tourists are around. Yeah, they must love it. It's probably the only time they can get a table. Talking of which, so you're you're not open on you you don't have any outside space uh, or very little. So you're you're basically waiting until the seventeenth of May, I guess it is. Is that right? And then yeah, yeah. What, how are bookings looking? <laughs> um, May and June. Well, we only we only release ninety days in advance. So in the bookings because. Uh, we found that there's a trend. There's a trend to eat with us. Say you're sitting there in July and you eat with us, then you get I go online and book for next July, and but you forgot you had that booking. So we had that sort of trend was happening quite a lot of us. So you forward if we went too far with bookings in advance, you'd end up people not showing up. Um, so we do the 90 days, and that's just purely so that we know that people it's still in the people's minds that they're going to turn up because we can't afford to lose tables with only so few tables. Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, and we, and we so but I think May, all of May's for all of June's for, um, and then obviously we're into July releasing it. So I think it's looking very good for July. So if if May and June are full, July, August, and September would be good. I think so. It, and do yeah. you do you literally release tables on a daily basis then, on yeah. a sort of rolling basis? Yeah. So it's a bit like Glastonbury, where people have to get up at like you know I don't know what, what, what time are they released? Midnight. Well, if my, I general manager, 12, my, my general manager Ian was telling me yesterday that oh, he was looking at the trends of when people book and what time they book online, and it's usually about five past midnight. Really? So, yeah, so, like, people must be just waiting for it to come up. Sort of yeah. So yeah, by ten past twelve, yeah. that's it. They're gone. Yeah. You know what? I'll never ever take that for um, for granted because yeah. I remember the days when there was no customers. You know, so it's sort of and it's that's, that's etched into my mind. So oh, while we get we're, while we're nice and busy and this is happening, I'm, I just sort of uh, always remember what it was like you know, back in the early days. So but, yeah. yeah, it's a good thing. Yeah. Well, when you say when when there were no customers, was that was that with this restaurant or was that the earlier incarnations? I think the first restaurant I opened, the Black Pig Inn, was in two thousand and three. I was only twenty four at the time, twenty five, twenty four, yeah, twenty five, and um, we that was in that was actually in Rock, um, where it, you know, which is opposite Padstow, and um, it was yeah, it's, it's it's one of places that's mental for ten weeks of the year because people are around from from the schools and stuff like that and then it used to just go dead and it used to go dead. when i had a restaurant there it, that was the situation it's, it's changed now and it's it's evolved and it's busier all year round but we had you'd have i remember one november one november i think the first year we were open i think in one week we did eight people 
in wow. one week. You know, and it yeah. is sort of like that is that's harder. You, you people go, well, eight people, that's, that's easy, isn't it? But it's not. It's like it's, it's, it's worse than being fully booked, in my opinion, because you just got you're still prepping all the fish, mm-hmm. you're still prepping all the food, you're doing everything you need, and then there's no one come in, and it doesn't matter how much advertising you do, and you, you're just wasting your money because there's nobody there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that's so I it is one of those things where you've um, and I think having them sort of that f- maybe for it was probably up to five or six years being like that I suppose you know I moved on a few places from there but it was always the same scenario and um, it just it just sort of it keeps you grounded to, yeah. to, to make sure that you save your pennies in the winter time you know and make sure you've got you know when, when the money's coming in you've got to put it into your winter savings pot to make sure the restaurant survives and we still do that to this day yeah. So, uh, well, no, we're the same. We're, we, you know, we, I mean, you know, I speak to people, you know, peers with with uh, high street restaurants and their revenue fluctuation. You know, good month, bad month might be something like ten percent, maybe apart from Christmas. And ours is like, you know, a thousand percent. We can yeah. literally <laughs> take three or four hundred quid on a Tuesday in February, or uh, twenty five grand on a, you know, a, a Tuesday in August. In yeah. fact, it can be the same week and just yeah. the weather. You know, you get you get a busy day and it's absolutely pumping, and then people will be like, oh my god, you must be a millionaire. And the next day, all the stocks there, all the staffs there, all the bills are still there but literally it's you know gale force winds as is the case in this country yeah. and it's dead so yeah it's a good experience to go through i think that's why i'm so sort of uh yeah like so not en- envy's not the word but yeah impressed and understand i guess that 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 amazing business model of just going look yeah this is a let's simplify it this is the covers this is the price I, I really like it um one of the things you know you've always been really positive about you know loving what you do loving the kitchen loving cooking um but a lot of chefs really struggle with the challenge of you know all the hours you talk then a little bit about the pressure of the early days um particularly when then they try and have sort of you know families and kids in the mix and get work-life balance you know you, you seem to have done all right you're married to rachel you've got a couple of teenage kids how, how have you managed that challenge of being so driven you know particularly when you're going off to dubai and london in, in what's a really tough sector and any tips to other chefs you know you must have witnessed presumably a lot of people struggling with with mental and physical health in the kitchen so yeah any, any advice that you give people yeah well i think firstly i mean i'm i'm very fortunate that my wife Rachel is is from the hospitality industry as well, so she fully understands, and her family all were as well. And I I, I do see my you know, my chefs and my the guys that work with me that have got relationships with say people their partners are not in the hospitality industry, and that is is hard. There's no doubt about it. So especially if you want to you know you want to work in a restaurant that say you know that's higher end, and it is it is an, am, an ambition of yours to get say you know as as far as you can it's it takes a lot out of you so i've just been lucky that my wife fully understands and we've always had an understanding that if she if it got too much and she said to me look i need we need to change i would change and we've always had that understanding but because because i've thought i've always sort of been very driven in in what i want to do and we've seen the benefits over the years like i suppose especially more so in the last five years i suppose um it's all i suppose it's all been worth it in that sense albeit i don't have many memories of my kids being young which is really sad so my kids now, my son's 18, he's just about to go off to university in September and my daughter's 16, she's just finishing school. And we've had the last year has been great because we've had all this time together. <laughs> so, and it's that's part of me feels that, yes, it, but like they both, they, they both fully understand that they've grown up knowing knowing nothing different. So, you know, in, from that point of view, they're, they're, they're happy. They, they've sort of, they know dad goes to work and, and he does what he does and because this is the life we lead. So they've been very understanding. But I think in terms of, um, you know, the only advice I can give people is, you know, just you've got to be understanding of the situation if your partner, you know, and what they're in. Even though we're very driven, a lot of chefs and a lot of people in the industry are driven for their career and to make their business work, you've still got it's you can't do it on your own you've got to do it you've got to you've got to have that support and if i hadn't have had the support i don't know where i would have been i would certainly mm. wouldn't be speaking to you now that's for sure <laughs> so um it's yeah it's and it's i think for the guys that work with us and they all come and talk to me about stuff like that because you know they know that i've gone through pretty much all of it you know like especially with um you know even 
even get down to how to buy a house chef and all that sort of stuff you know all these everything you're like i'm like a, a social worker i think <laughs> so, but i like that role i mean that's the role that i've always you know we've always kept an open book and in family and within within the business and i think that's why and i think that's the way to do it to be honest with you i mean um you know people we all need to help each other if everybody helps each other um it makes makes life a lot lot better for everyone did, did Rachel ever have to press that emergency button and go, Nathan, quick, <laughs> come on, it's gone. I mean, they were toddlers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when the oh. kids were toddlers, it was, it was a bit full on, like, because it is. And we, I mean, and we were, we didn't have it. We were, we were pretty skinned, to be honest with you, when the kids were young. And Rachel and I just decided to have children, you know, when we were very young. She was 23 and I was 25 when Jacob was born. And, you know, and two years later, Jessica come along. And I wasn't in a position, a high-paid job. And do it. I mean, I had, a, I suppose, a young chef reputation of doing quite good. And so I was getting a few opportunities, but it wasn't. It wasn't, you know, it was paying for the nappies and it wasn't much more than that. So we only bought, our, we only really bought our first house probably five or probably about seven seven years ago I suppose and that was on one of them dodgy 110 percent mortgages <laughs> so like when they existed yeah. and everyone got yeah. stung so Northern like, Rock. Yeah, yeah it was it was right. yeah, I had one of those I didn't yeah. want to say it but I, yeah, yeah. luckily luckily for me I think they've gone under now so yeah I've been yeah, bought yeah. out so yeah. yeah it was one of those dodgy mortgages that was the only reason the only way we got off the ground really so i mean now as i sit here it, um in terms of our business rachel and i own it all we don't have any investors or backers Amazing. um and we've just been that's just really through perseverance and that's one other bit of advice i give anybody that's sort of like wanting to have their own restaurant or wanting to you know sort of a hotel or whatever is it just takes time and and to be honest with you, and I, I i would say that you you've got to take risks but you've got to be patient and I think that, and them two, two things and, and actually be prepared to, to muck up, you know, don't worry, be making a mistake isn't, isn't the end of the world. I mean, at, at any level, I, I reckon I would say probably 90% of my knowledge is through mucking things up. Yeah. Learn fast, I think, isn't it? Yeah, how, yeah. how did you fund then? Cause that, you know, the black pig was young, 24. Was that, was that, did somebody put some money in to open that or did you do yeah, that? Yeah, that, that was a strange, well, not a strange situation. It was a situation that came up my indoors, my, yeah, my brother's, um, my wife's brother and his wife, um, at the same age as us, and they wanted to do something. They wanted to come back to Cornwall and they wanted to do something. And Rachel was very pregnant with Jacob. And I was working in um, in Newbury at the Vineyard at Stock Cross with John Campbell um, at the time as head chef. And I was and I just wasn't enjoying it. I was like 24 years old, 23, 24 years old, and I was head chef and in charge of like 20-odd people. And it, I just realised that I hadn't done enough cooking and I knew that myself. I've always been very self-critical of myself so I've always been able to you know I still think I'm a commie now you know what I mean I just the way I go about my days I don't think I know anything you know I, I, I learn loads so I when I wanted when when I got offered I sort of you know to do something back in Cornwall it was just sort of like I just believed in myself that I could do it it's completely the wrong decision if you know unless you've got that mentality because I wanted to make it work so I went from earning nothing I think I was earning like 27 grand or something like that uh, as a head chef back then, which is quite good money. You're talking in 2002, that was. That wasn't bad money to go to earning, to, to then go into having no job, to open a little restaurant and then paying myself 13 grand a year, which, <laughs> which was, um, well, we couldn't even afford that to be honest if you were when we opened that restaurant. But at the time, it seemed like a good idea. <laughs> It's good. It's good. Yeah, it's a brave decision to do that. Not everybody has the confidence at, at that age, I suppose. Isn't it? But I suppose you know, the, yeah, testament to the success that you've had on an ongoing basis. I guess there must have been something um, deep within you. You got a Michelin star. Was it twelve months after opening, or something ridiculous of your first restaurant? I'm sure that did your confidence some good as well. So, what, what were you doing that was was special, and was that a surprise that it happened so quickly? And were you even aiming for it? I suppose. Um, well, I wasn't aiming for it because I didn't even really know um that we hadn't put out any feelers we hadn't told anybody that we were opening like that i mean obviously i was lucky enough to get a bit of press in the early days because i did a few competitions like the rue scholarship um young chef young waiter and the academy of culinary arts which was sort of like your junior chef sort of competitions when you when you're coming up through the industry so i'd done them so there was people that were aware of that we were opening a little restaurant um and because i worked with john campbell he, at the time he, would, he was getting a lot of press and he was you know he was 
he, he went on to be a two Michelin star chef as well. So, you know, it, it was, um, there was a little bit of attention from, say, the, from the industry press, not not from Maine. No one else knew who Bloody Hell I was. They were like, who is this guy coming doing this? But um, from that little attention, I think we, we've been open. We opened in the May because Jacob was born May the 6th. So we opened on the 20th of May. The Michelin Guide used to come out in January then. So that that first January, we got a star. But I didn't. I had no chat with a, an inspector or anything. I had no clue. I literally. It was back in the days. They didn't do. They didn't do like these snazzy sort of um, press releases and stuff like they do now. These events. It was just like it was a fax that came through, like and <laughs> and it said what who was the additions and who was the deletions. I think that's what it said. And yeah, we, and I got a phone call from some. I remember remember it. It was some random um, bookshop owner rung the restaurant and he must have had a, it must have got delivered to him. And I think there's, they usually have embargoes on them and you can't open them, but he must have opened it. And he just said that, oh, well done, you've got a Michelin star. And I'm like, well, I can't believe this because, you know, obviously it's not official. It's not been, no one's told me. I've not seen it from my own eyes, but holy moly. But I was like, <laughs> this is pretty crazy. So, yeah, no, it's, um, and then that, yeah, so I was only 25 when that, yeah, we got that. And that, that made a bit of a difference from, again, from an industry point of view, people knew we were there and it, it sort of set up waves in the sort of, I suppose, the, the people, the food tourists, I call them, the people that love to go around the country visiting all the new restaurants that are sort of up and coming. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, I'm never going to, I'm never going to talk down upon all that sort of stuff because I think it, it sort of paved the way for where we are now. And, but in terms of, you, I think you asked me what, what's the difference between or what, what brought the attention in terms of the food? There's no difference what we do now to what we did then. It's exactly the same in terms of the way I think about bringing, putting dishes on the plate, buy the best ingredients and cook them as well as you can. And that's that's pretty much it. And season, I suppose. What happened to the Black Pig then? Why did that close? Inexperienced restaurateurs that didn't didn't know what what we were doing and fell out with family. That's the usual, what would happen then in that situation that you could see it coming and my me now as 44 43 year old could see that situation happen in my life but when you're 20 25 you just think you can conquer the world don't you yeah, <laughs> absolutely yeah well, like you say it's what we are all, all part of that learning through mistake kind of journey i suppose yeah i think i still think like because i was in the kitchen there and it's just me and another chef it was pete pete was there for what for a bit uh chris was there for a bit who's now a chef at penson's restaurant um he's also he was at kidley park and then he was my my head chef as well at the restaurant I found obviously he was there for a bit um and then we had a young lad who came out of Rick Stein's seafood restaurant called Michael Hamilton was my first chef who worked there with me and he's now in New York with his own restaurant so they've all gone and done really nice done well for themselves but we were just so inexperienced we just did, you know it was just it, the food that we were like it was rough it was like a rough diamond the food was what saved us because we were cooking nice food, but everything else around it was a bit of, <laughs> I'd imagine, a, bit of a joke. <laughs> but, is, that, yeah. is, that, is that predominantly the numbers? Is it the maths bit, which was the challenging bit? Because that's, I suppose, you know, fundamentally, although it's even, annoying in business, you know, you, the numbers have to work, don't they? I didn't even think about it. No. That's why. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm an honest person. I just, yeah. it, wasn't, it didn't, you know, we, I sort of had a rough idea of working things out from being head chef at the vineyard and at Lords of the Manor, I was a sous chef as well in the Cotswolds. And I sort of like had an understanding, but I didn't understand it. I was more interested in all I was interested in I was cooking food as good as I can to sort of like the standard standard of Thomas Keller and Marco Pierre White and Gordon Ramsay and yeah you know, all these people that were like amazing at that time and just wanted to be as good as they were and and I weren't even didn't even consider that sort of stuff you know and uh, and over time you just realize what's 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 important don't you and you or you learn the hard way because you realize you can't pay you can't pay yourself this month. <laughs> Yeah, that is true. That's normally, yeah. So who taught you the most and where did you learn the most about the the business element of restaurants? I think I've learned it. To be honest with you, I've learned the hard way. I've just learned it myself. I mean, I'm very very lucky. I had a really good mentor um, for business, a guy called David Hunter, who's um, who's basically a hospitality specialist who's really, really good in terms of, of helping you run a business um and he he helped me i suppose like a lot to understand how to run restaurants and then it's just been really learning the hard way i think the benefit of having a restaurant that's seasonal if you call it a benefit is you get you get downtime 
And in that downtime, you get time to just reassess what you're doing. Um, and I think that is where every year we've always had this sort of natural progress of like consolidation, looking at what we're doing, what we're going to do next season, things like that. And I think just by fine tuning it over years and years and years is what what's given me that knowledge. And you know, now I can you know read a, you know read anything. You give me a budget, I can do all that sort of stuff. It's not a problem. But yeah, you, in that in that when I was at the Black Pig, you know, we survived purely off the reputation of the food and taking enough probably taking enough money through the till just to keep us going but it was just um well we were so inexperienced and so you know sort of so young in what we were doing that yeah you just i was lucky we had customers that were very loyal actually for those few years that we were open and um and it was just in contacts that saved us and i went on to work at a place called st urban manor which is a little b&b that we got a michelin star in and that was the same sort of setup two in the kitchen five or six tables not too many tables but you know got good standard in there they taught me a bit um and then i went on to work in foy at uh, a place called the marina hotel which is now a house no one it's not even a hotel anymore and um, that's where the restaurant nathan out of started for the first time and i suppose that's that was a hotel so we had to do everything breakfast lunch and dinner i think over the, i think the only after i've literally done every form of catering bar probably like army court army catering like everything else I've done I started in contract catering with my dad yeah. <laughs> so yeah. but, but I to the age of eight, eight I read I think didn't I is that right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, was, I was in there with him at like eight nine years old on Saturday mornings you know, doing things yeah. like buttering toast and you know train up sausages to go under the grill and he he, he worked in like a big um, sort of paper mill sort of factory um, canteen and sort of they were doing yeah a lot of people yeah two three hundred people like for lunch and breakfast and stuff and they were doing like um, special events in the evening so I used to get involved in that with him so that was that was just good fun I just loved the camp the camaraderie of like the team who they were just basically pirates so that was so funny <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with, a, with a dad as a chef because he was a chef for 50 years I think wouldn't he did, did he, yeah. you know, he, he knew how hard it was as an industry presumably did he share your love did he ever try and talk you out of it and go man there's got to be easier ways of making a living son do something uh, else or was he always encouraging and saying yeah go for it no 100% the first summer when I was 15 when I did work experience with him he tried his utmost to make, to put me off. Like he did everything in his power to make my life a misery. <laughs> to make like so, I was uh, was doing all the all the, the crappiest jobs. I was doing you know washing up all the time. Anytime I got close to a job that was fun, he'd tell me to do something else. And he was just trying to make me not be a chef. Right. But then once I got through that sort of, I suppose his initiation process of like he saw that I wanted to do it for you know and wanting to cook um he then encouraged me 100 percent from that wow. point on yeah. so yeah he, but he, he was, was ultimately he, secretly pleased in the end yeah I suppose, but initially yeah. though he he told me he told me recently he said i oh, did i didn't want you to do it <laughs> so yeah. Well, no, it's, it's, I'm not surprised. Yeah, I think I'd be the same with my family. I think if they, you know, although my my sons, you know, my son and daughter probably think I'm so uncool. They can't think of anything worse than doing what their dad does for a living. So I don't think I'm in danger <laughs> of it at the moment. But uh, yeah. yeah, if that changes, you, you'd see. Um, you mentioned sustainability earlier, so I just want to touch on that because you're, you know, you're very well known for for you know caring uh, about the environment. Obviously, you're very well known for fish. So how do you manage buying sustainably? How do you define sustainably? You know, in in the fish world, is it is it reliable? on sort of good partnership with local fishermen just talk to me a little bit about how you do that well i mean i think it comes we're very very lucky where we are from a location point of view so it's all very transparent so our, we can sort of always ask the questions we can see with our own two eyes exactly where it's coming from who's caught it and all that sort of stuff so we that's one thing that helps us be as sustainable as we can be um, even if that is a thing, I'm not sure. You know, it, it's one of those things. I think it's by, like, buying responsibly is more, more important. So, I mean, I think um, over the years, things have got better in terms of the, like the awareness of what's going on with fishing. And um, I think fishermen, there's very, there's some really good young fishermen that are very responsible fishermen that are really. Um, trying to make a difference and are thinking about the future and so it's supporting them guys making sure that they've they get the support and the recognition that they need to to make it viable for a business to support their families um and really it's championing champion championing i can't say that word but looking <laughs> looking after the fit the species that that people 
don't hear of much and, and and trying to promote those species and sort of using them so i mean over the years i've seen you know when i if i, I couldn't put mackerel on and sell it when i first opened my restaurant people would just not it would not eat it um but now I, it's one of the most popular fish on the menu if you put it on so that's just a good example you know, I, I always remember i'm not going to name who the chef was but someone said one said to me that you know mackerel should never be on a restaurant menu it's not good enough so um it, you know it, that's the turnaround in my in my time of being a chef so and now you see it and it sells really really well but um i think you know it's it's educating yourself as well with things like ethical side of things and and environmental stuff is being aware and helping out so we 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 sort of promote um a, a charity called surface against sewage with and which they are very big on on the plastic pollution and and supporting that and making sure that people do beach clean and stuff like that um we also look at yeah, people at fisherman's mission which are a charity that help people with bereaved um you know families or injuries or loss of earnings or whatever within the fishing industry which they get no no help from the government and i think they're the only fisherman uh fishing it's the only charity that supports the fishing industry um in that in that way so yeah it's, i think it's just being part of the community as well and and keeping your eyes and ears open to what's going on um and 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 making sure that you've uh you know what you're talking about i suppose yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. it's challenging i think with fish and because because animals you know they kind of like they stay in the field that they're supposed to stay in and you sort of you can follow their whole journey but fish is difficult because they move around the world and they're they're pregnant at different times and then yeah. you know obviously the size that you can catch them it's easy in a field because you can you can sort of see them grow i suppose do you get to chat to the fishermen and and sort of understand if there is a a genuine change and i'm thinking sort of you know cornish fishing villages have been making a living this way for hundreds of years do they chat about whether fish stocks you know are recovering or the situation's getting worse or you know do you get to have those conversations well yeah i mean it depends on which species it is because there's certain species that um you hear things from fishermen that say that are not as many around um but it's not necessarily from overfishing it could just be the like the change in the climate and stuff as well when they move on to different waters there's there's so many i think it's such a minefield mm. as a subject so that's why when people say to me you yeah, do you buy sustainably are you ethical with the way you buy your fish and i say well we are because we we know where it comes from we know who's caught it we know how they've caught it also we're a very small restaurant so therefore we're not a big chain restaurant we're not yeah we're not we're not serving lots and lots of fish to lots and lots of people we are we're taking the best seafood from the fishermen that we know um who we know that are, are catching in a sustainable manner as, as sustainable as they can you know so i mean that and that's all all we at this stage it's a bit like when you're supporting recycling systems right you can only do as much as you can you can put the pressure on you can do all these these systems but if the support's not there as a restaurateur or as a chef to to, to enable you to be the best you can you want to be then you've just got to be patient and wait for them things because all these things will come about you know they will get better at doing all these things because they have to because it's, it's about saving the planet isn't it so in terms of the fish we 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 do everything we can that's in front of us to ensure that we are doing the best job of buying that we can um, <clears throat> it's very very difficult for restaurants that are in cities or it's very difficult for a consumer at home to be able to buy the, the yeah the, the sustainable quality fish that we buy because they're just not in that situation. So I think you know in terms of like should we be eating as much fish? Probably not. Like in terms of the certain species that that, that be, be get 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 highlighted for being overfished. But I mean it's not certainly not an industry that we should just be turning our back turning our backs on because we've got to feed all the feed you know we've got to feed the world and we you know so you've got there's there's very clever people out there i think that's what i'm trying to say it's very 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 clever people whether that's fishermen whether that's people working in agriculture you know that can that you know will 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 we'll discover and create very special and very clever ways of making sure that the stocks are there in the future and you've got i've got to believe that and i want to believe that because i think you know it's all doom it's a lot of doom and gloom about it but they only look at the bad things everyone seems to in the news they highlight the bad stuff there's a lot of good people doing good stuff out there as well so it's a shame they don't get highlighted more 
Yeah, no, it's true. I think, and uh, it's funny enough, this week's podcast that went out, a chap called uh, Phil Horton from Better Food, who really understands, you know, the food system, and uh, he's he's got organic shops dotted around Bristol. And we were chatting last week about, you know, his decision to carry on selling meat, and he, you know, he sells himself as a very ethical, sustainable, and he, and he gets a bit of grief for even selling meat. But he, you know, he was he made some really good points and, and and understood it in a way that yeah, most people slinging mud probably wouldn't. And it was some of it was around sort of you know carbonization of of soil and actually. You know, you you need you know we're a, we're an island covered in grasslands, and that grasland's full of carbon. And actually digging it all up and, and just planting uh, plants, you know, maybe wasn't actually as environmentally friendly as as using animals on the land and getting the animals to eat the grass, which turns it into something that humans can consume. However, you know, he was in no way defending the sort of industrialization of mass produced, you know, cut down the Amazon and and and, and grow cattle that way. And I think it's the same with you with fish, isn't it? You're not saying, yeah, let's go out and pillage the oceans with jumbo jet kind of size nets and be out for days at sea it's kind of like look, if you can if you can humanize food again if you can catch yeah. the local fishermen who serve the local village it isn't actually about feeding the world on that level it's kind of like can we feed the village and if more farms and more fishermen went look can i just serve my local market instead of thinking right you know i need to fish on a scale that's going to basically you know flood the uh, the international fish markets then we'd be in a better place but i agree with you it's it's a minefield and it's complicated but let's hope some people with big brains get it sorted yeah definitely so um, is it true that you've got almost a thousand cookbooks, Nathan? <laughs> Probably more than that. <laughs> where, where the hell do you put them? <laughs> well, at the moment, they're all these stories because we're moving soon. But I, oh, yeah. Um, it's, um, yeah, no, they are, um, it's just that, yeah, it, I've just been collecting them over the years, really, and they just build up and build up. And my, wife, hate, my wife hates them. She's like, yeah, wow. I'll eat these Your removal company must cry when they rock up. My, my wife's a primary school teacher, and she's got shitloads of, of kids' books. <laughs> and, and every time we move house, luckily, I think we've, we've found someone now we'll stay, but we, we were renting for about 15 years, and we'd end up yeah. living about 18. And every 18 months, I'd be like, oh, my God, how many Amazon? All those Amazon books we get delivered <laughs> every day yeah. over the course of the last 18 months. Here they all are. Not only have I paid for them to be delivered, I'm now paying this poor man breaking his back to move them but uh yeah, that's an impressive collection so you're gonna you're gonna build a library in the new house or? i'd like to yeah i mean ultimately it'd be nice to have them um, we did think about putting them at like somewhere at the restaurant but there's nowhere for them but um yeah it's it's just something i mean i just i don't have any hobbies really other than cooking and so that's really what uh, what i buy you know so i'm lucky enough i do get sent them as well nicely from some people like they do send me a book because they they know i um I collect them and I appreciate them, I suppose. Yeah. And obviously, I've written five books myself as well, which is sort of like, so I think it's always part of that sort of um, respect for the authors and respect for publishing houses as well, and the hard work that they do to, to produce them. I think they're, they're all pieces of art, really. Yeah. No, my wife's the same, to be fair. She's got, as well as the kids' books, she's got loads and loads of recipe books. She absolutely loves them. So, yeah, five's good going. You got any more coming out? When was the last one released? Uh, well, the last one came out, actually, the in 20, 2019. That was the Restaurant Nathan Outlaw book. So I suppose that was a good natural end because that was just, it just, it was an overview of the of 12 months of the restaurant and, you know, the seasons and what we go through and, you know, thinking a few stories about our suppliers and stuff. It was a nice book. Um, and I suppose it's sort of like a bit of a piece of history history now because that restaurant doesn't exist anymore so um and yeah that's I mean, a good excuse I, I, to write a new one nathan yeah <laughs> in the future i we i just think that them sort of things it's just yeah you could you can end up churning them out i suppose and i don't want to do that i want to you know i want to make sure that what you actually write in it's got some uh, sort of some depth i suppose and uh, to, to it so yeah but I, I i've got a few ideas I've got a couple of ideas that i'm talking to a publisher about at the moment but we're nothing concrete as yet so yeah, fair enough. Okay, well, look, we're we're running out of time, so let's just flip to the future a little bit. Um, obviously, you know, incredibly tough time for the industry. You you've been through the mill yourself. What's your thoughts on on the sort of the, the wider impact of COVID? I suppose on the sector. Who who do you think is going to come out the other side of this strong? Do you think it's the independents that are going to do all right, and people are going to support the little guys, or do you think actually it's the big players with with sort of shareholders and big budgets that are going to um are going to come out stronger? Any thoughts on that? My gut feeling is that the independents are going to do better. And the only reason why I say that is I think you've got control when you're independent to di diversify and change like I have with what you do. And I think that is the most important thing is that you do, if you need to change, have the confidence to change um, because it's the difference of saving your business and not. Um, I think with the big corporate business and with my experience of having corporate um, is 
the problem with the big, big, big corporates, you know, talking about the big hotel chains is that they don't think about the people um, too much. I think they think about the money and the money ain't coming, uh, especially if you're in, in England and you're what, international, you, you rely on international travellers um, in a big hotel. I think you're in a bit of bother. So, I mean, that's going to be a tough one for them, um, albeit, you know, and I think if anybody's backed with big finance, you know, especially from like, any you know, banks or the city, they're going to be maybe a little bit in trouble as well because of the um, because they want their money back, don't they? <laughs> Let's face it. <laughs> got yeah. the truth. So I think we've I think the way forward in terms of restaurants and and hotels and stuff like that is to be yourself and be independent and do just do do the fundamentals of hospitality. Look after people, look after everybody, and then people will come to your restaurant or your hotel. Or, you know, whatever sex here in, in within the industry, you know. Um, and I think the actual, I think people will come out of this appreciating going out more. Or I think they'll appreciate um, good things. I think they'll appreciate people that are doing a good job. Um, I think they'll hopefully be less people that are just, you know, glaze over hospitality and use us as a, like with a dirt on their shoe, which sometimes happens. Because I just think it's been so publicised that the hospitality industry has been um, at a tough time, you know. So I think, you know, that should should highlight that. Um, and I think the future of dining out is just going to be a simpler one. I think people are going to enjoy the things. They're always going to want something special, a good, a good yeah you know, you're always gonna have that special occasion but i think more than more than not i think people have had a tough time generally everybody and i think people just want to get back to enjoying themselves so i think it's the hospitality industry will i think you got to have faith in it and i think it will it will it will sort of bounce back and it'll bounce back stronger do you think in some ways there was a necessary correction because there, there was this sort of oversupply of venture capitalists backed sort of, you know, same stuff on every street corner in Britain? Was that causing you concern as somebody who works in, in, in hospitality and sort of, you know, loves the sort of maybe the quirkier independent side? Or um... Yeah, it definitely dilutes the industry um, and takes away some individuality and, and talented people. I think people may work in those, like you say, them, them restaurants or them places that you just described then and, and end up losing their love of the industry through the way that they're run um so hopefully you know once the the tough times are over there'll be some really interesting new up-and-coming places um that come out of this and you know one thing is if you're if you are a person that's got hospitality in your blood you you will you're always going to work your, your your ass off aren't you and I think that's the thing. I think if you're prepared to work, you'll get yourself back on your feet, and you'll get back. You'll get back into it. And people, you know, I, I don't. When I employ people, I don't care where they've worked or what they've done. I just look for their attitude and the and the, the way they are. You know, and I think that says a lot. So, and most people that are good in hospitality are like that. So. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's true. Um, a lot of people I've spoken to uh, have ended up launching these sort of food boxes, I suppose, as a way of navigating through. But a lot of them are saying, actually, it's been pretty decent and they're going to keep doing it. Did, did you look at um, doing stuff like that, I suppose? Yeah, and were you, were you tempted to, to try and do any of that home delivery aspect? Well, we did the, when we first, the first lockdown, we did some takeaways, which were just pick up. We haven't done any of the boxes. And the reason why we haven't done the boxes is just purely because I don't think it's the direction of what, uh, we do i don't think we could do it and, and tick the expectation that customers would expect when they open the box um i've had some really good ones actually i bought some really good ones um from places i'd um one from rockfish which uh, mitch talks one that's really good yeah. um and i've had a few other ones as well i had a really good one from vivex sing in the cinnamon club is that was really good and i so i think they are I think in these cities, restaurants that have got the pressure of paying their rents and got pressure of need that ca- they need that cash flow. I think they need to they will probably need to continue doing stuff like that because I think cities are still going to have it's going to be a while before them places are full like they used to be full. You know, I don't think that's going to take a while, especially with all the restrictions and the madness of these vaccine passports and things like that that have been talked about in the news. I think that's just going to put people off. So I, I I think you've got I think or everybody that started these boxes has got. A persevere with them because i think it might we don't know what the future holds so you've already to it's worth continuing to do it because of what you know because that might be part of the future you know so but i think from our point of view it just we have logistically we would have to buy a new 
a new premises to to start doing that from. I mean, I've I've got friends that work for for Rick Stein. I used to work for Rick, and I know that they're doing loads of boxes. I, mean, I was talking to you know, Jack Jack Stein. He, he's been you know, he, they they're doing a lot of boxes, but they've got a unit. They've got um, they've got that logistical side of it all sorted we've got we try to do a takeaway from a restaurant kitchen it's a nightmare we were doing like four orders every 15 minutes and um even that it was fine if it was all two ordering but then you get like a, a holiday home of like 10 people and they order like loads and we've got this little small basket fryer and this grill with small trays we haven't got any of the equipment but everyone's running around like craziness trying to get this uh, trying to get these takeaway out so i don't I, you know i think if we did anything like that and we have to diversify because we're forced into doing that we'd have to buy another premises yeah no i think you're right we, we did some valentine's boxes and uh it was good fun you know and it got it gave the team something to do and it you know it was a, it was a good team building thing but uh I, we only sold 108 and i actually i got in touch with will becker at hawksmoor because i know he's pumping out you know loads of these as well and i said how the bloody hell are you doing it and i sent him a photo we basically you know covered our yeah. entire depth terrace in little you know like little uh yeah ramekins of this little yeah. sauce and these little packets we'd all sealed and some spices it was utter carnage and then the time it took to deliver we, we delivered them ourselves because we thought how hard can it be you know 108 people it took like 10 hours in three cars to deliver them and uh, we certainly didn't do it for mother's day which was the original plan we, like, yeah, we might we might just wait and focus on what we're good at which is people yeah. come to us and eat rather than we come and, and rock up at their house yeah. so look, it oh. sounds like you've you've got really sort of nice plans to um yeah focus in, in you know where you are focus on the two restaurants is there anything else on the horizon or is literally as, as, as rachel said look just chill out nathan and let's just just recover what's 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 yeah. your sort of trajectory i suppose for the next 12 18 months i suppose the next for the next you know this this summer but it's definitely about just getting everybody back up to speed, getting the team back together, you know, bringing the love into that, making sure that the customers are getting looked after and looking after them two restaurants. And then we'd like to, we've got some property that we'd like to do some rooms, which is one thing we haven't got any rooms. So that's one thing that we know that we've never done before that we might look into. Um, but in terms of restaurants and extra restaurants and doing anything else, I'm, I'm, I've done that. I've been there, done that, and I think if I ever did anything else, it now it would just be to support somebody who worked with me um, for years, and they want to do something, and I might just sit in the background and help them. But it, me with my name above a door, no thanks. I'm I'm done with that. Amazing. Well, look, hats off to you. I fully respect that because people always ask, don't they? I get asked, you know, yeah, what are you going to do? Next? What are you going to do next? And you're like. I'm going to have a rest, you know, I'm just gonna, you know, relatively, I'm still going to try and serve a few thousand people a year, but yeah, yeah. God, what, what, what a crazy time it's been, but hopefully that's the positive that comes off the back of this, this roller coaster that we've been on. So, well, look, you know, thank you. Congrats on, on all you've achieved. It's lovely to get the chance uh, to chat to you, but yeah, n- nice one for your hospitality adventure. Um, if people want to follow you, Nathan, are you, are you active on any, any particular sort of social media channels? Where's the best place for people? Uh, just on Instagram uh, myself. And then I think the restaurants are on Facebook and stuff. Stuff, but I don't get involved in that. You don't need to. You're booked 91 days in advance. Exactly. On a, so, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just on the Instagram because I think it's quite fun, and I, and I like yeah, it's, it's some good stuff on there, and it's just it's pretty light, light-hearted. Yeah, you know, I, I sort of avoid any any confrontation on it, so it's keep it, keep it, keep it, keep it good like that. Amazing. Well, look, I'll find the um, I'll find the links and I'll pop them pop them up on the show notes nice of this one. episode. Um, I was going to say I'll come down and, and, and have lunch at your place, but you're fully booked, so come to me. I, I'll have definitely have space, Nathan. Uh, anytime you're in Bournemouth, uh, I'll show you a beer overlooking the sea, and uh, and we'll have a chat. But yeah, thanks for spending the time today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, cheers. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed hearing about Nathan's journey. It's clear that Nathan has learned a great deal, not just about the cooking side of hospitality, but ever increasingly about the business, financial and people aspect of restaurants. I really look forward to getting down to Port Isaac for an icy cold beer with Nathan at some point over the summer. And remember, if you enjoyed the show, please do leave a review. It helps the algorithms keep this show in the podcast charts, which helps me attract awesome guests for us all to enjoy. I'll be back in two weeks' time when we are chatting to Adam Phelps from Seller Society, talking all about the events industry. Until then, enjoy the sunshine. Cheers. Cheers.